Praise the Lord. Welcome to the official GVPC podcast. My name is Pastor Chris Keats. I am the pastor of Gila Valley Pentecostal Church in Safford, Arizona. We're so glad to have you here listening to this podcast. We pray that it richly blesses you. And God bless you. spoke to my heart. First Kings 19 and 12. If you can find that verse first Kings 19 and 12. I feel like God wants to move right now. Hallelujah, hallelujah. And after the earthquake, a fire. We have any luck back there? It's in the Old Testament. It's like right before 2 Kings. (laughs) And after the earthquake of fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. Look at that again. And after the earthquake of fire, previous to this, there had been a big wind. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. And I'm going to preach today after the fire. Let's pray. We love you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness. God, we pray that you will touch us right now. Let your presence flow, I pray. Let your anointing be here. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord. You may be seated. I mentioned earlier in Morning Manna that I was going to preach about the life, talk about King David. And I, 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 you'll find out that when I preach, it's probably in the neighborhood of where my daily Bible reading is. So if I'm preaching on Acts, probably I've been reading that in my Bible recently because that's what happens is I get the, uh, I'll read my Bible and I'll find something that, that catches my attention. I'll copy and paste it into my notes so that I can come back there in a day or so or later on that day or maybe after I get finished with my Bible reading. And read that. Well, I have been in uh, First and uh, Second Samuel. Just finished that. I am, in fact, in First Kings right now. But I have, I have, I'm so fascinated by the life of King David. I am fascinated by him because I feel a kinship with David because I can associate with the feelings that he had. I can associate with his failings. I can associate with his victories. I can associate with the mistakes and the tragedies and the times of joy and the times of sorrow, times of defeat and the times of, of, of victory and all of the things that David went through. I can understand his love for God and his hunger for the presence of God and And I can understand these things. And I think that any believer, any Christian should have that same, feel that same kinship to David. His Psalms speak to me and they speak to my spirit. And I think that's that's the way it is for everyone. Just He starts out with uh, talking about uh, being planted by the rivers of water. He talks about, we get into just such beautiful things as, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and, and praise ye the Lord. He talks about praises and so on. And, and so I, and at the same time, 
I can understand Psalms 51. I can understand going through a time where I feel like I have failed God and I don't know what to do and I don't know what to say in God. Would you cleanse me? Would you make a right spirit, a clean heart and a right spirit in me? And I can understand that. If you, if you have lived any life, you could associate, you could feel the same feelings that, that David felt. You can understand why he felt the same way. You can understand you can understand the the almost the, the willful attitude of a man that knew to do right and even Joab the man that was right there with him and who was not a good man but a bloody man told him don't number Israel you know better than a number Israel you can understand the willful desire to do what you want to do in spite of what God says sometimes all of us know how that is all of us know how that we walk in. I have noticed something about sin. Seldom do we walk in by accident. Seldom. I, I've known people who have fallen in adultery. And they'll say, well, it just happened. Yeah, it just happened. Sure, it just happened. You know, and I know, it didn't just happen. I'm going to tell you somebody else who knows. God knows it didn't just happen. You ain't fooling me. You ain't fooling yourself. And you ain't fooling God. And, and we know how that is. We know how we, we do things. And, and we know we're going in with our eyes wide open. And we know what we're doing is wrong. Well, my addiction has got a hold of me. You still have a will. I can't help myself. Yes, you can. Nobody's holding a gun to your head and making you do stupid things. Nobody stood there with a spear at the side of David as he gazed over the ramparts of his house at that pretty gal bathing down there. Nobody was holding a knife to his throat and said, you got to do that. We understand that when we do things, it's not because we can't help it, it's because we refuse to do what is right. And we understand the feeling that David had. We understand. So consequently, I can associate with him because I know the times when I fail. I know the times when I've been just absolutely so boneheaded and so stupid in the things that I did. I know all about that. At the same time, I know about the joy of the Lord being my strength. I know, I know about the presence of the Holy Ghost. I know that he walks with me in the valley of the shadow of death. I know that he's taking care of me. I understand the anointing. Amen. How pleasant it is. Amen. For the unity of the brethren. It's like the anointing oil. Understand all of that. I love, praise ye the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in the ferment of his power. Praise him for his mighty acts. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Everything that hath breath. Praise ye the Lord. I understand all of that. I can associate with all of that. So David and every, every Christian has this kinship with David. Especially if you lived a little life and you've made a few mistakes. Amen. You don't have to be very old to make some pretty dumb mistakes. So, as I was reading the other day, I came into a period of David's life in the 27th to the 30th chapters. And David had a lot of low places in his life. I, I, I have, uh, I've, I've made these comments to people. That was one of the worst times of my life. And then later on, another situation comes up. I say, man, that was one of the worst times of my life. Later on, another one comes up. I say, man, that's one of the worst times of my life. I've had a lot of worst times of my life. And, and, and I have a hard time ranking them. Well, this was the number one worst time. The number two worst time. No, I think that one was probably the number one. You know what I'm talking about. You've been down that road. Worst time of my life. I don't think you get any worse. Oh, yeah, I can. Believe me, it can get worse. I found that out. But this was one of the lowest places of David's life. David had been running from Saul. And Saul had, had been harassing him. And you've got to understand that when David was about 10 years old, Samuel had come and he had, he had anointed David with oil and he had anointed him to be king. And here he is pushing, I believe it was 30 years old at this time. 
He, he's around 30, maybe closer to 40. Um, and he is, uh, and here we have 20, 30 years. I know that he was 40 years. He was 40 years as king in Israel. Or, or, or actually seven years as king in Judah, 33 years as king in Israel, 40 years altogether. Um, anyway, but now we're getting near the end of this tenure. And uh, he's been, he has been in the house of, of um, he's been the house of Saul. He's been running from Saul now. Uh, he, 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 he's been betrayed by someone who should have been his best friend. Uh, he, he's got, he's just got a terrible situation going on. So he runs, and sometimes difficult situations push us into making choices that are not really good choices. He makes a choice to sell himself and the use of his men to Achish, who was the king of the Philistines. The Philistines, or Philistines, or the Filipinos, whichever, I Philistines, the Philistines were the sworn enemies and had been the sworn enemies of the Hebrews for a long time. You remember, it was the, the man of Gath named Goliath, who was a Philistine, that David had killed. He, he had killed, and, and they fought them and fought them and fought them constantly. So now he allies himself with Achish takes his 600 men and basically hires out to Achish to be a mercenary. He had 600 tough, mean, rough men, and, um, and, and he, he hires himself out. Achish, before he had come to Achish, and he had acted crazy and had been cast out of the presence of the king, but now Achish saw him was 600 men, saw the ability of this man, and figured he could use the services of a man. And, they, and, and another thing is they had a common enemy. Now, I, I, I do want to say this, that there's an old saying that, that, that says, politics makes strange bedfellows. That means that people who don't even like each other We'll get together in politics. And, and give me a little bit. I'm not going to preach a long time, but give me a little time to build up to what I'm getting to. And then another thing, another old saying is this. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. And the friend of my enemy is my enemy. And Achish looked at him and said, he doesn't like Saul. And so David allied himself because they both had the same enemy. The problem was, was David's enemy was Saul, but it wasn't the people of Israel. And if you're not careful because of a political or whatever kind of expediency, you can ally yourself with people that are not godly. People who are working against the things of God. Be careful who you associate with. And so he found himself, and, and Achish gave him the town of Ziglag. This is where you can live. And so from there, he, uh, he lives for, the Bible says, 16 months amongst the, amongst the Philistines. And, and, uh, and, and he brought his men. And, and here's something also to remember. Whenever you pull yourself into a compromising position. Listen to me real close here. When you pull yourself or put yourself in a compromising position, you don't only put yourself there, but you pull everybody else associated with you. David did not only go there by himself. He went with his two wives. He went with 600 men. They brought their wives. They brought their children. And he put himself in a position that, that he would find out was not a good place. You don't only take yourself into sin. 
You don't only walk away from God. You're not the only one. You'll pull your family. You'll pull your children. You'll pull your husband, your wife, those that are around you, your friends. Uh, amen. One of the biggest problems that I see is whenever people who do wrong, uh, the people who associate with them are, are, are influenced by that. Amen. you got to be careful who you associate with. So... They went there. It's interesting about that 16 months. The Bible never records, except near the end, David praying. The Bible never records him going to a place of an altar. The Bible, there is no record of a single psalm that was written by David during his time with the Philistines. The sweet psalmist of Israel, which the Bible refers to him, was silent. And he was living in what we would call a backslidden condition. He is not amongst his people. He's living in a strange land. He's allied himself with the things of the enemy. The great man who is after God's own heart. The man that God loves. The sweet psalmist, the Bible calls him in 2 Samuel, the sweet psalmist of Israel is silent and he's living in a bad situation. And, and, so he goes, and now Achis is going to pull in all the stops. And he goes to David. He said, okay, we're going to go to war against Saul. I want you to come with us. So now David has a decision to make. Before this, he had not been fighting against Israel. He had been going out and raiding places, the Amalekites and the Hittites and a, a bunch of different people. And then he would come in and Achish would say, where you been? He said, oh, around the south of Judea. You know, I just been kind of wandering around doing this, doing that. Here's some, here's some chickens, you know. And, uh, and Achish, had, but I think Achish had begun to suspect that David was not really as loyal as he was as he claimed to be. And, and I'm going to tell you something. Whenever you play both sides of the game, you're going to find yourself getting caught. When you try to play this side and this side, and you try to do this, you try to do that, sooner or later it's going to start getting a hold of you. You're going to find yourself where you don't know what to do. When you try to straddle the fence, uh, you're, you're going to get pulled one way or another. And usually you fall the wrong way when you straddle the fence. And, and it never works out very well. At least it usually doesn't work out very well. And I'm going to tell you all something. You pay for it when you straddle the fence. You either got to live for God or live for the devil. You can't serve God and mammon. You got to make up your mind. And so David, H.S. comes to him and says, okay, we're going to... We're going to attack Saul, and I want you to go with us. And now the rubber meets the road. David finds himself in a situation where he's got to live up to what he said he was going to do. He can't compromise anymore. He's got to do one or the other. He's either got to tell Achis, you know, buddy, those are my people, and I'm not going to go there. Or he's got to back him up. He's got to back up his word. And David decides he doesn't want to. But he decides to go along. He's forced into the situation. I'm here to tell you something. When you play with the world, you'll get forced into things. You don't have to do them. But you feel forced to do things. I am uh, a young man. A young man that... Uh, I've told this about his name was Matt. He used to come to our church when I was in Kalinga and give him a Bible study and worked with him. He, used to, he had hair down to his, his uh, back of his, down his back. He 
he was a druggie, he was all that kind of garbage, and just just a messed up guy. And we worked with him, got him to come to church. He got the Holy Ghost, he baptized, cut his hair off, he 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 cleaned himself up, and started living with the Lord. Was doing was doing really good, and then boom, he was gone, and he back. And, and I mean, like we're trying to reach him, and he's off the off the radar. And I walked into this little store down the street from where I live, there in Colleen, and I walked in to get a soda pop or something, and and there was Matt standing there, and his hair was grown long again. He looked like a scuzzball, just really messed up. And and I said, "What's going on with you?" He said, "Oh man," he said, "I'm hurting right now." I said, "Why?" So he pulled his shirt up, the dummy, and he had he had gotten his navel pierced, uh, and he had a a safety pin through his navel, and it was infected. I said, you are an idiot, Matt. You need to do something about that. He'd done it himself. Got to talking to him. I said, man, what happened to you? What happened to you? Why did you, why did you leave church? I said, you were, you were, you were doing well. And, and, and he said, well, I'll tell you what, Pastor. He said, some friends invited me to a party. He said they were, they went, they had a, well, what happened was they, they had, at, there was a little college there south, I can't remember what the name of the college, a little little college there in Kalinga, and they had a, a um, they had a play, had some friends who were in a play. And so he went, went and watched this drama or this play, and they came around, got around, and they said, hey, why don't you come, we're going to have a party afterwards. Now, Here's the deal. Wasn't a big deal that he went to watch his friends play and do their acting and all that garbage. It wasn't a big deal. But when they walked up to him and said, hey, Matt, why don't you come to the party with us? That should have been the line that he drew. No, I enjoyed your play. You did a good job. But I'm going to go home, read my Bible. But I, I'm going to go to church. I'm going to do whatever. Said, okay, I'll go with you. So he went to him to the party. And he told me, he said, he said, He said, I, they, they said, you want to drink? And they were drinking whiskey and all kinds of stuff. He said, no, I don't drink. He said, I'll take a Pepsi. They handed him a Pepsi and they spiked it with JD, with Jack Daniels. He said, and Brother Rick knows how this is. He had somebody do the same thing to him. He went and spit it out and walked away. Brother Rick went to Alaska to take a job, if I'm getting, or somewhere. He was in Seattle. Seattle, Alaska, it's all up there. He was in Seattle to take a job. His friend wanted him to drink, and he didn't, and, and he, he handed him, what are you doing, shrimp boating or something like that? <laughs> so he handed him a soda pop, and he had spiked it with whiskey. Brother Rick spit it out, gave it back to him, turned around and came back to Arizona. Matt took a drink. He said, I knew it soon. As I took it, what was in there? He said, I should have stopped, but I kept on. And that was where it was. David reached that point where H.S. said, here's a Pepsi Cola. And he took a drink and realized the whole situation was spiked. And David, instead of saying, I'm going home, I'm going to take my people home, you do what you want, but I, I'm, I'm not going to. Instead, he said, okay, the Bible says he went, he was near the rear, he took his men, they lined themselves up. And there are times, there are times when we make dumb decisions, and fortunately, God goes ahead and makes decisions for us and pulls us out of things. Doesn't happen very often because God allows us to be dumb if we want to be dumb. And there were other Philistines that were around there, and they said, Wait a second, King. We know this man. They sang Saul killed his thousands and David killed his ten thousands. And they're talking about us. We don't know if he's going to turn on us. Send him home. So H said, Okay, send him home. Turned out he didn't need him anyway. Send him home. So here's where the chickens come to roost. David has made one mistake after another, and he's messed things up big time. He's 
blown the whole situation. He's compromised. And, and now he doesn't need even his loyalty to, to, to sin even or to the Philistines even is being questioned. So he goes back to Ziklag and there's where the chickens come to roost. The people he's been raiding, the Amalekites, have come into Ziklag. They burned the town. They burned their homes. Uh, they've taken their they've taken their stock and their wives and their children and they've taken off. And <laughs> this is what happens. When you can't make up your mind to live for God. We like to say, play stupid games, get stupid prizes. I'm here to tell you that if you play with the world, the world's not playing. If you play games with the world, you will pay. You ever sit down and play a game of cards? For chips, but no money? The world doesn't play for chips. Or we'd have pieces of paper, whatever you do, you play and you win that, and then you. The world doesn't play for that. The world plays for money. And it plays for you. And it will eat you alive. And so here he came home. He had, for 16 months, he had been, he had been in the land of the Philistines for 16 months. Uh, he had sworn his allegiance to Achish for 16 months. Uh, and I know that every single day of those 16 months, uh, he regretted and he mourned the fact that he was not in his home in, in Judah, that he was here where he shouldn't be. But he didn't know what to do, and he felt pulled from one end to another and now he gets to the point he comes in and the town is burned the houses are burned everything is messed up and the Bible said that him and the men began to cry until the tears dried up they couldn't cry anymore and they were exhausted and the scripture I'm going to tell you something, the life leaves us that way. It leaves us beaten, it leaves us crushed, it leaves us drained of everything that we have. And to make matters worse, when all this happened, the Bible says in 1 Samuel 30 and 6, and David was greatly distressed, for the people spake of stoning him. Not only had he lost everything, amen, but, 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 he was in a situation where they wanted to kill him. He was His life was in danger because the soul of all the people was grieved. Every man for his sons and for his daughters. Things are real bad. He just wants to throw up his hands and give up. But here we have David. His life is in a shambles. His prayer life is likely in a shambles. He's in what we would call a backslidden sort of condition. Terrible situation. Literally in danger of his life. He didn't have a song in the night right now, in the day or in the morning or the afternoon or any time. And he didn't feel like praising much. He was the sweet psalmist of Israel, the Bible says, but he had nothing to say. But at that point, something clicked in the mind and the heart of David when he realized that just isn't going to help me. Amen. The, the Amalekites have taken everything I have. I don't know what to do. And the scripture says, it says this, it says, it, it reads, and David was greatly distressed for the people spake of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for their daughters and everything is bad. And the scripture says, but David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. Something happened. David realized that all was not lost if God was on his side. David didn't sit down and look inward and say, um, He didn't get some transcendental meditation to find peace in his soul. 
He didn't call a therapist and the therapist go through and find out if he had mommy or daddy issues. He didn't do any of that kind of stuff. The Bible says he realized the only answer in this situation was God. And he encouraged himself in the Lord, his God. Hallelujah. And in the midst of one of the worst times, God was about to restore his losses and give him a new anointing. Here's the thing. Here's what we need to understand. We go through hard times. We go through situations. We battle through things that we cannot quite grasp what is going on. We don't understand why we're dealing with what we're doing. Most of the time, if we stopped and we looked at it, we'd understand that our issues and our situation are there because of our own doing. Anytime I get in trouble, it's usually because I caused it. That's right. That's right. If you drive up a mountain and you look in your trunk and you say, I don't have a spare. We should be fine. And you get to the top of the mountain and you hear it go, shh. You don't get out and go, oh God, why did you do this to me? Because you know that God wasn't the dumb one here. If you drive 75 miles an hour in a 55 mile zone and you get pulled over by the cop, Brother Daryl, you don't say, you haven't been pulled over in a while, have you? Good. He's learning. <laughs> He's growing up. And you, you don't say, God, why did you do this to me? You know why it happened. And here we are. But when we are at that point, where because of our own actions or other actions or just life in general where we seem to have hit the bottom we need to realize that the only answer that I have here is God and David found himself back in some hole somewhere knowing that everything had went to pot and he didn't know what to do but to encourage himself in the Lord I don't know what he did but I have a suspicion that he sit down and he began to sing oh yea though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death I will fear no evil the Lord he's my shepherd I shall not want he maketh me to lie down in green pastures he restoreth my soul he leadeth me in the path of righteousness oh God you are good you are merciful. Oh God, your mercy endureth forever. Oh God, at the night I find a song upon my bed. Oh God, I praise you because you are great and greatly to be praised. He didn't know what else to do, but he began to worship God and reach out to God and call out to God and encourage himself in the Lord, his God. Bible tells in our text we read a little bit about the story of Elijah. Elijah was a funny character. He was different. I've always been fascinated by the the the, the difference between Elijah and his protege Elisha. I've always been fascinated how there was a contradiction of types there, of personalities there. One scholar made the statement, he said, Elijah was the prophet of fire. Elisha was the prophet of water. You find interesting things with that. But you find that there were times when Elijah struggled, when Elijah was on the run, when Elijah, he did not feel confident in himself. 
He did not feel that things were where they ought to be. He would have great victories, but then he would struggle through these situations. Elisha was different. You never find that with Elisha. You never find Elisha in a situation where he's like, I don't know what I'm going to do. Bunch of young men come out and start harassing him, and he, he says, you'll get yours, and the bears come and eat them. Naaman, the captain from Syria, comes, and he doesn't even go out. He says, go out to the, tells uh, Gehazi, he says, tell him to go to the river of Jordan, dip seven times. And, and uh, we find these situations. He, the water's bad here. Put a cruise of salt in it. And he, he always knows what he's doing. But Elijah, who was a powerful prophet of God, just didn't always seem to know what was going on. And here was a situation where he had, had, had battled with Ahab and Jezebel. And he had slaughtered the 400 prophets of Baal. And, and he had slain them with a sword. And taken up to the top of the mountain. And God had answered him by fire. And it was such a great victory. And now Jezebel said, you listen to me, old man. It, it, I'm here to tell you right now. So let the gods to the men also, if not thy life as the life of them by tomorrow about this time. In other words, God's going to get me. Her gods were going to get him, her if she didn't kill him. And she planned to kill him just like he killed the prophets of Baal. And Elijah is on the run. The Bible said he arose and went for his life. This is the, the prophet of fire, that when troops of, of the enemy came against him, God poured fire out and burned them up. When he stood at the altar, God put fire down and burned up the sacrifice. And now he's running from a woman who's all made up. Looks like a common streetwalker. Horrible woman. He's running for his life from Jezebel. Here he is. Finds himself in the wilderness and God feeds him. And the angel takes him to a place and he gets to a cave a little later on. But he finds himself, the Bible says, when a day's journey into the wilderness came and sat down under a juniper tree and he requested for himself that I might die and said it is enough now O Lord take away my life for I'm not better than my father's he's ready to die this is interesting it's fascinating how that our deepest times of vulnerability are right after we've been to the mountaintop David was at the really bad times. His family had been taken, which by the way, I didn't finish the story. He went to the Lord. He said, it's interesting how this happened. He, he, when, when, he, when he asked of God, God told him to go ahead and, uh, and pursue, and they went and got their family back. But David was at the worst time of his life. Elijah had come from probably the best time of his life. David had come from the worst defeat. Elijah had come from the best victory. And it was at this time that he found himself in one of the lowest places. Because sometimes our worst times of vulnerability are when we have just been up on the mountain. Have you ever walked home from a fire-drenched service on a Sunday and stepped into your home? And everything goes to pot. Anybody else ever been there? Has anybody else ever walked out from the move of God and everything's great and he, you get a phone call? I do, this happens to me as a pastor on a regular basis. You get a phone call, something's going big time wrong. And it's like you're walking along and you are ready to take on the world and they poke a little pin in you and let all the air out and you're completely deflated. 
or you're by yourself, amen, somewhere, and the temptation begins to work on you. I won't ask you about that one, but I'll guarantee you some of y'all know what I'm talking about. Had such a great service, and temptation begins to work on you. So here's Elijah. He's had a great service. They had a good service. They had a really good service. They beat the demons. They burned the priests. They killed the priests. The sacrifice was burned up by fire. Everything was great. And now he's in the wilderness. He said, God, just take me. I'm no better than my father. Just kill me now. Kill me now. Sometimes I think God looks at us and says, you people are something else. Why don't I even deal with you? Come home and Satan's waiting there for you. Reminds me of an old story. There's a fella. He was a drunk. He was a bad drunk. I mean a really bad drunk. He wasn't the kind of guy that came home and beat his wife. He just was drunk. He'd come home, fall down, throw up in his living room and fall down on the couch and go to sleep. He was a nice guy, but he was a drunk. His wife, on the other hand, went to church. This, this, this story is of no consequence, but I'm going to tell it anyway. Wife, on the other hand, went, went to church. She was a little bit of a self-righteous gal, but she was tired of her husband coming home drunk all the time. And she nagged at him, and she nagged at him, and she worked on him. And sometimes they said he probably drank because, well, because she nagged at him all the time. So one day she decided she was going to deal with the situation. He comes staggering in one night, and she's got a devil mask. And she puts a devil mask on. He comes staggering up the wall, comes past the hedges, and she jumps out and goes, Boo, I'm the devil. He goes, Glad to meet you. I married your sister. But, uh, Here's Elijah. The devil is waiting for him. Amen. Waiting for him. And I'm just, just let me die, Lord. Let me die. The Lord says, I'm going to show you something. You get up here on this mountain. He had been in a cave. But from what I read, he walked out of the cave. And he's standing up there on a mountain. And and. And he's depressed. He was dealing with depression. Anybody here ever dealt with depression? He was dealing with depression. Elijah, the prophet of God, was depressed. David, anointed to be king, was depressed. You say, ah, oh, strong people don't get depressed. Come on, folks. No. We deal with that kind of stuff. And Elijah was depressed. And God said, I'm going to show you something. I'm going to show you something. Come up here. And he walks out on the mount. And then God lets some things begin to happen. The wind begins to blow. And, and it begins to break. The, I mean, we're talking about wind. It begins to tumble rocks. And rocks begin to break. And I mean, it's like unbelievable. And then an earthquake comes and the mountain begins to shake and the wind is blowing and the earthquake is there. And then he looks and there's a wildfire rushing up the mountain toward him. And now his depression has been replaced by terror. And the fire moves through. And after the fire, after all that he's been through, after depression, after the wind, after the earthquake, after the fire, God begins to speak. I want you to hear me right now, church. I've been through things. You've been through things. This church has been through things. We've seen the wind blow. We've seen the earthquake. We've seen the fire. We've seen the upending of things in our life. We have seen 
issues rise up in our families. We've seen the attack of the enemy on those that we love, on those that are around us. We've been through the rain. We've been through the wind. We've been through the earthquake. We've been through the fire. But I'm here to tell you that God wants to start speaking to you. David was grieving with his men. And he went to the only place he could think of, and that was to God. And, and when he encouraged himself in the Lord, he began to pray, maybe for the first time in 16 months. He began to worship probably for the first time in 16 months. He began to sing the sweet psalm of Israel probably for the first time. In 16 months, he began to encourage himself in the Lord. He knew that God could work it out, but he had to encourage himself in the Lord. I was talking some time ago, I believe it was about Brother James Kilgore, pastoring a small church somewhere in Texas. The people didn't like him. Uh, he had no money. He was broke as could be. He had nothing to, to he was, it was cold. He had no, he, he didn't. He didn't really have the money to run utilities. The po folks weren't paying tithe. They were trying to run him off. And he knew God wanted him pastoring this church. And he was trying just to survive. And so he went down one day. I've told this story before. He went down one evening. It was freezing in that Texas, uh, in that old Texas church. He went down into the basement of the church. He went down to pray. And he said, I went down there because I was going to tell God about how bad bad everything was and wonder why God wasn't doing what he ought to be doing for me and I was upset he said I took a blanket and because he said I didn't want to turn the heat on because it would cost money maybe they didn't have heat right then and he put a blanket around him and he said as it was my habit I began to walk back and forth and began to pray I just began to pray he said what I always do when I pray Pray before I do anything else. And this is something I try to get into. A habit I've made in my life. Before I do anything else, I worship the Lord. He said, I begin to pray. And I begin to praise the Lord. Great is my God. Worthy is God. I worship you, Lord. I love you, Jesus. I magnify you. I lift you up. I glorify your name. What he really wanted to say was, God, why are you doing this to me? God, why am I going through all this garbage? God, why don't you just kill me now? God, why is all this happening? to me? What are you doing to me? What have I done? I've tried to do it. He didn't say that. Well, he just began to praise the Lord. He never got to that point because after a while, he began to worship the Lord, began to feel the presence of that Lord, of the Lord in that place. He threw his blanket off. He began to wave his arms and worship God and the Holy Ghost came down in that place. God brought deliverance. God worked everything out. David began to worship the Lord. Great is our God. And greatly to be praised. Hey, David, we're going to stone you. Great is our God. And greatly to be praised. You're worthy of my praises, God. Hey, David, you better get our families back. Oh, God, hear my cry. I worship you. And he began to encourage himself in the Lord. The presence of the Lord moved into that place where David was. He began to worship. The Bible said he called Abiathar the, Abiathar the priest. He said, bring the ephod. Let me tell you what that was. It was the Urim and Thummim that is on the chest of the garment of the priest. <clears throat> Nobody knows what it is. The, the Mormons think they know, but they don't know. Nobody knows what the Urim and Thummim was. There was, there's been some theories, I'm not even going to go in them, but many times when they would go to ask something of the Lord, they would bring the Urim and the Thummim and God would answer them. But it was brought to them 
by the priest. The priest would come. It stayed on the garment of the priest. The high priest wore it along with the 12 stones here. It was there. He wore the Urim and Thummim. The king did not use it himself. The priest came. He asked the question of the people. A priest, uh, and 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 then the priest would do whatever they did with it, and would give an answer. And the Lord said, "Go and pursue. Go and pursue. Will I overtake them?" God said, "Yes, you will." And here was the turnaround for David. Number one, he praised God. Number two, he inquired of the Lord. And it was at the hand of the priest. I'll tell y'all something right now. I feel like God is reaching somebody. The word of God is coming. The preached word of God is here right now. You've struggled with situations. You've struggled with decisions. You don't know where to turn. You've fought against things. And hear me right now. We battled against some things in this church. I'm just going to say it. We battled against things in this church. Brother Connor covered it real good last week. There has been rebellion. I want to say this very clearly. It doesn't matter what might happen in other places. What was done was not done in the right spirit. I don't want to keep, I don't want to harp on that. I don't want to talk about this much more. But I'm saying this. It was not done in the right spirit. It was done with the spirit of Korah and done with the spirit of Absalom. I dealt with it right close up. I know what I'm talking about. And I felt that. I don't care what is said or whatever. It was not done with the right spirit. God will deal with that. God will judge or God will do whatever God wants to do. But God will deal with that. Amen. But this is the church of the living God. This is the church that God ordained right here. And I will say this right now. Amen. That God knows what he is doing. And we have to trust in him. We have to trust in him. Whatever we've been through, whatever we've dealt with, whether it is as a church or it is as an individual or it is as a family, whatever we've dealt with, you hear the word of the Lord right now. Pursue and victory will be ours. Step out on faith. Is it going to be overnight? No, not necessarily. Amen. Is it going to be something that just happens all of it? Probably not. Not. But if we will stand in the will of God. We all think that David went in and Saul died. And people get it in their head that David went, became the king of Israel. Everything was all right. Do you know that David did not become the king of Israel for seven years? When Saul died, he did not become the king of Israel for seven years. The men of Judea crowned him king. And for seven years he fought against, I believe it was Abimelech and so on. He fought against Israel. There was another king, I think it was Abimelech. I'd have to go back and look, I just read that. That was another, was a son, that oh, wasn't Abimelech, never mind, we'll go there somewhere, I'll have to look it up. Uh, another man that came, I think he was a, he was a son of Saul, that, uh, or grandson of Saul, I don't recall, he, that became the king of Israel for seven years. It wasn't for seven years until he was a king of Israel. And everybody, I, I'm here to tell you something, you may think that everything ought to get all right within a day or two. It takes a while. To rebuild. It takes a while to build revival. But here's what happens. The people of God begin to pray. And the people of God begin to fast. And the people of God get their eyes off the things of the world. And the people of God get their eyes off the attacks that are coming against them. And the people of God stop listening to the criticisms of the enemy. And the people of God begin to encourage themselves in the, in the Lord. And the people of God put the preaching of the word of God into their heart. And when they do that, God will come through. Let's stand. Jesus, 
You hear me, church. I want you to hear me right now. Victory does not come by sitting on our backsides and waiting for it to happen. Revival doesn't come with no effort. Oh, Jesus. It takes something beginning to happen in the heart of the people of God and a willingness to do whatever we can. And I can preach till my lungs come out my mouth from that pulpit. And it means absolutely nothing if the people that sit in these chairs don't get on board with it. I can preach the best messages I've ever preached in my life. But it will mean absolutely nothing if all that you do is sit back here and say, Amen. Amen, Pastor. We agree. Amen. We agree. I wonder when that guy's going to be done. He's been preaching for a while. I have been preaching for a while. I'll tell you what, brother, brother, brother Connor just really ruined me. Oh, how long is he going to preach to us? I've heard this over and over again. He's always preaching about we got to pray. We got to seek God. And he wants us to worship. I don't feel like worshiping. But you know what? I'll do it anyway. Oh, there he goes speaking in tongues again. Man, that guy. Oh, Jesus. Oh, God. Church, I'm so tired right now. I can't hardly make it sometimes. Oh, Jesus. I'm spiritually, physically, mentally, emotionally exhausted like I've never been before in my life. I've been fighting through a battle through this whole message. Like there's a wall that's put up. tell y'all something. I will not give up. Except to God, I will not surrender. If God wants to take me out of this life, He can take me out of this life. If God wants to move me somewhere else, God will have to tell me. But I'm not going to quit. I'm not a social. I'm not going to quit. I'm not a quitter. I've never been a quitter. I've never been a quitter, Brother Jackie. I need some people that have decided they're not going to quit. Come on. Come on. I'm not a quitter. I'll encourage myself in the Lord. I'll fight to the last, the last drop of blood. But God has put me 
that he's put you here. He's called me here to this place. And he's called you to this place. I'm not a quitter. Oh, God. Oh, <laughs> 